Happy New Year, friends, and welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. My name is Danny. And I'm Connie. The author of Hebrews writes that our hope in Jesus Christ is a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. So come and join us and let us celebrate this journey with Christ. Come on in. Today's first scripture lesson comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson is taken from John's Gospel. We are just entering John's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. This is immediately following the wedding at Cana, when Jesus turns the water into wine. The very next passage, 2, 13 through 22. Listen for the word of the Lord. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the late, great Paul Harvey, if you remember, American broadcaster and um, on the radio and was known for his catchphrase, and now the rest of the story. 
Uh, it's not a bad analogy to Jesus in his ministry as we, we understood God from a perspective of our Jewish and Israel, Israelite friends from their Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, and Jesus came to be and bring the rest of the story. So Paul Harvey tells a story in Oceanside, California. There is a bank and a bank robber. The bank robber comes in, a motorcycle helmet completely obscuring his features and face. He quickly comes and looks at the tellers and judges one that he thinks will be the softest and the most pliable who will do what he says. So he goes to this teller, hands the lady a note, pulls out the gun so just she can see, and the note says, your money or your life. So right away, she opens the cash drawer, starts to pull the cash out to hand him. She looks at the note again. Her eyes squint. Her lips purse. And she pulls the drawer out and starts beating him on the helmeted head with her cash drawer. Money's flying everywhere. And the man runs off. And not too long after that, he's caught a few blocks down hiding in some bushes. And so the police come back and they review the security footage and, and they asked the teller and said, it looked like you were starting to hand him money and then you got mad and, and started beating him with your cash drawer. What was it that made that change? Very prim and proper lady said, well, I looked at that note again and it had a very naughty word on it and it made me angry. What is it that makes us angry? Go ahead and share some horrible angry sin with your neighbor. Just kidding. But we know anger is a part of our journey. Anger is a part of our life. And today, we see Jesus, our sweet and happy, welcome the children, everybody at the table, dive for the world, hold my hand and we'll skip off into the sunset together. Jesus, get angry and mad and violent in a rage. It's offsetting, it's off-putting. It's even a little scary. So let's take a look at John's account. Now, we know the Gospel of John is a little bit different from the other three. The other three are Matthew, Mark, and Luke called the synoptic Gospels, meaning that they are more similar in nature. John contains many of the same stories, but is a little bit different. And in this case, Jesus has, uh, John has Jesus come to Passover three times when the rest of those Gospels have all of the Jesus Stories leading up to one big Passover, then Holy Week, cross, resurrection. And this is in the very beginning of the Gospel of John. And remember, John doesn't start with a birth narrative. John starts with this wonderful prologue about Christ being the Word. The Word was with God from the beginning. And so then chapter 2 starts with, as I mentioned, the wedding at Cana that we all know. A great story between Jesus and his mother. They get there to the wedding, and the wine runs out. And Mary says, Jesus, you know, little hocus pocus, can you get us some, some more? Jesus says, no, Mom, stop it. I'm with my friends. I'm not ready yet. 
But eventually, what does he do? What his mama wants him to do. Changes the water into wine, and they have that conversation about all the stewards and people being confused, and especially the stewards. You, most people put the good wine out first, but you saved the good stuff for last, that which Jesus had turned. So then the very next step, we're here at Passover, one of those gatherings where all of the Jewish community from wherever they come from in surrounding areas, nations, languages, states, countries, come to the temple. Somewhat triples the amount that would nor- of, of people that would normally be in that space. So here they are. And in that temple structure, we know that at the middle is that holy of holies, that people are not allowed access into. Only a priest, and depending on the time period, only once a year can they go in, can one go in. So we have these outer courts, these outer precincts. We think this took place in the court of the Gentiles. And yes, the Gentiles could come in, but only so far. And that's why we assume that they use this as a place for cattle to be present and money to be exchanged. Both of those were legitimate things to happen, at least around the temple. Everyone that came from whatever state, country, place, whatever language they spoke, they needed to bring some kind of animal offering and monetary temple tax. Now, your offering had to be an unblemished animal and you could not bring it. In other words, you had to buy it at the temple. Little business. And of course, they cannot use Roman money or any other kind of money that has graven images on it. Commandments tell us that. So they had to switch it out for this temple money that was acceptable. And this is what we think Jesus took the most exception to. Nothing wrong with either of these things, except that they seem to exploit their people. Matthew, Mark, and Luke make that more clear, that they were taking huge sums of money in this changing, changing of the money. If you've ever been to another country, you know you're pretty much at their mercy. You go to the little kiosk and you're trying to figure out what language and what money and how do I, and you just kind of trust in the person is going to turn over the right amount. And of course, they make a little money on it. They should. That's a business. But here it was too much and unacceptable to Christ. It would be as if we said, we are no longer taking dollars, only Bitcoin. No, we wouldn't say. We're no longer taking dollars or your your societal credit cards. We will have our own first press credit card. It'll have a cross right on it. We'll put our steeple on it. It can only be used in that way. And we're going to exact a 30 to 40% tax on everything that you give. Thanks wouldn't go very well. We would be extorting you, and it would interfere with what this offering was meant to be and what this animal sacrifice was meant to be, and that is a way for the people to get closer to God. It had become this mockery. And so, yes, Jesus sees it. He gets angry. He makes his own whip, 
He drives the animals out. He turns over the tables. There is confusion. There are animals running around, doves flying around. There are coins flying. And Jesus is angry. How dare you make my father's house a den of thieves or robbers? And so they ask him, what are you doing? Why do you have the authority? What sign, which is a common symbol in, in John's gospel, seven signs, the wedding at Cana was first, but in that same verbiage, what, what in essence gives you the right to turn over these tables in the temple? And Jesus responds, And says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And now they're even more confused. Because the temple, at this point, they're thinking the physical brick and mortar temple had been in process since 20 BC when Herod the Great started to build up the temple that would have been considered a little temple that Solomon started with rebuilt this and decided to make it huge and grand and wouldn't be done until 68 AD, two years before the Romans destroyed it. Still being built in Jesus's time, but, but huge and beautiful. Three days, it's taken us 46 years to build this and you can do it and that just doesn't make any sense. And then the disciples kind of stop and remember later, we have a post-resurrection thought. This passage that Jesus had told them, zeal for your house will consume me. From Psalm 69, 9. Zeal for your house will consume me. And in Jesus' case, it is absolutely right. Zeal did consume him. It consumed his life. God's house took his life and ended his earthly life. So what is it that we are to glean? This is normally our yearly conversation on anger. Anger good, anger bad. And we need to know that. Let's first look at the church. What is it within the church that we think might need to change? Are there things, as Jesus looked at the temple and said, you know what, these are getting in the way of people's relationship with God. Would we be doing some things that get in the way of your and our relationship with Christ? Probably, maybe, I don't know. We all see things from a different perspective. We try to have connecting points at the church for a variety, if not all people. If you want to Zoom, you can Zoom. If you want to be in person, you can be in person. We have programs for children, youth, adults, different age groups, different brackets, some fellowship, some Bible study, some service opportunities, worship opportunities. Part of what we try to do with staff is to provide all kinds of ministry so that 
you feel like you can connect here or there. But what gets in the way? You tell me. Sometimes it's our obsession with worship numbers that overrides our own journey with Christ. Sometimes it is the music, the length of the preacher's sermons, other churches, I know. What color are the choir robes? What are we having for dinner? The next church gathering, what are we eating? Why are the youth doing that? Why are the children doing that? There's so much that, and there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. Those are all decisions that have to be made and should be made faithfully. But at issue here is our own journey as individuals and a church family. And there's absolutely some tables that need to be overturned. And we need to look at those and work on those together. Right now, the session is in a process of visioning. Who are we? Who should we be as we emerge from this COVID mess? Do we simply go back to the way everything was before? Or can we sprout a little bit more? Can we fly a little bit more deliberately with the power of the Holy Spirit working? Some tables might need to be turned. And that's where our courage, that's where our strength, that's where the spirit within us, we will have to trust. It's hard to do that. Because we love what we love about the things and people and places that we love. And to see those challenged can be a threat to us. We all know that, nothing new. And we're not doing it in a vein of anger, we are doing it in a place of how to bring others into this place that we love and we want them to love. And then to go into the world to minister to others in Christ's name. So we need to look at our own temple and try to figure out what impediments exist. The other piece is looking at ourselves. If you remember Paul from 1 Corinthians 6, 19, talks about your body being a temple. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And in this case, we are the temple that houses God's spirit within us. It can feel a little strange, doesn't it? We are the temple. In addition to the temple that we serve, Christ here is making the point, which is why he's confusing all those around him. What do you mean you can tear down the temple in three days? He's talking about his body and making that shift. If you remember the woman at the well, we'll get to in chapter four. After they have a little conversation, she, he's in Samaria on Mount Gerizim. They have a temple there as opposed to the one in Jerusalem. And she asks him, you know, we kind of fight these Samaritans and these other Jews. Which is the right place to worship God? And Jesus says, hold on. The time is coming where 
God will be worshiped in spirit and in truth, meaning God isn't locked in this building. God isn't locked in any one place. God resides within us. Think about that. If God and the Holy Spirit reside within us, why? Why? It is for our benefit. Each one of us is a temple to God. But we're also meant to go out together so that others too can be called, can understand this journey at least as much as we can to share the faith, to share the good news, to share the grace and love and joy and challenge and journey of the risen Christ. Anger continues to be a part of that, both as a congregation, because anytime we are together, that's, we bring that in. And as individuals, you have anger within you. The key is to move that into an acceptable way for change. Anger can be positive if it is funneled into an appropriate venue for change and motivation. Aristotle, Greek philosopher, you have Spa. You have Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. He was the third one. He said, anybody can be angry, that is easy. But to be angry at the right person, for the right reasons, at the right time, in the right process, and in the right way, that is exceedingly difficult. And he's right, we know that. Moving from anger into something productive is a part of our challenge. And if you're angered, it often means that there's something you love at stake or something that you are passionate and excited about. But we have to be able to communicate. We have to be able to work together enough, whether that's church or something else in your world. If your spouse angers you in some way, if you have been married for any length of time, what is helpful when you are angry at your spouse or your spouse is angry at you or friendships or family members? or even people at work? Is it to go off the handle, go anger crazy? Does that yield good results? No, not usually. Will Rogers said, people who fly into a rage always make a bad landing. It's not bad to keep in mind. People who fly into a rage often make a bad landing. But again, once we start in anger, there is a way to transform that into positivity. Okay, I'm angry at this or I'm angry at this person. What do I need to do to communicate with this person so things can change? Or at least we can have some conversation. Jesus is so angry because those in power had taken advantage of God's people. And the people were suffering in their faith as a result. For you Godfather movie fans, the third Godfather, several movies down, Al Pacino goes and talks his character, Don Corleone. He is now the Godfather. I won't do it, I promise. I just did it. And he talks to the cardinal who is being looked at to be the Pope, Cardinal Lumberto. 
And the Vatican Bank had entered into an arrangement with the Corleone family, and that deal had gone bad. So now Michael Corleone, Al Pacino comes, and he tells the priest that the, the deal went bad. And the priest picks up this rock out of water as they're in their conversation, and he says, you see this? This rock has been in this water for hundreds of years. It is completely saturated on the outside. Then he smashes the rock and shows Corleone the inside, which was dry. So in fact, the water had not permeated the rock. And he said, men in Europe have become just like this. They look like they are surrounded by God, but inside they are dry and they are without faith. Our challenge is not to be that rock that looks from the outside like it is covered and we are faithful and we follow, but rather to be fully saturated as God's temple from the inside out. So it's a twofold call today. In our church, what anger do you have that can be funneled into positive change through the prompting of the Holy Spirit? Or what tables that might bar others from Christ need to be turned in order for us to bring others in and then to all go out? And then for ourselves, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. This is the time in the middle of Lent it is what this season is all about. What temples, what tables need to be turned over in our lives, in our hearts, in our souls that prevent us from being closer to Christ? Think about those tables. That is our homework this week for the church, for ourselves. And then let us work together to affect positive change through the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we will be as we are called to be, true disciples. And that we can proclaim without hesitation that Christ was raised from the dead and walks with us in this life and the next. Hallelujah. Amen.